And man, those are just walls. <laughs> it's all about him. And we will see him. Uh, we had another friend pass away this week, and what a year it's been. And, uh, and as though it will be a joy to see them, I can't wait to see Jesus. And that's going to be great. Well, thankful that everybody's here this morning. Uh, Brother Kirkman, pastors up in Wildwood, Missouri. You've been there, Brother, what, 35 years at least? 25. Okay, I don't know where I got 35 from. Sorry. <laughs> got to watch the rumors. <laughs> Usually they're the other way. Yeah. He's only been there five years, you know. They're never so positive usually. So we're just, uh, I'm just thrilled to have, have you here today, brother. My, my, my brother, had, I got to hear him in, uh, in Australia. I don't know where you were. He's in Melbourne, and I don't know where you were preaching in Australia. It's been several years ago. Was it in Sydney? Was it a fellowship meeting in Sydney? or Same difference. No. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so, uh, and then I find out Brother Mitch O'Neill, yeah, relation there, son-in-law, I didn't put it all together. I've known Brother Mitch for a while. And I, and I thought, wow, you are blessed, brother. So, no, Brother, brother O'Neill is blessed. I don't know if you're blessed. You know, I don't know. Uh, okay, amen. <laughs> He's a great, Brother O'Neill is a blessing. He is a blessing. So, uh, Brother, why don't you come along now? He's going to be with us tomorrow night at the Preacher's Conference. If you can come tomorrow night, Missouri Baptist, Independent Baptist Fellowship, uh, meeting tomorrow night and Tuesday, starts at 7 p.m. I've been telling the church for some time it is going to be a good time. Uh, a bunch of preachers and other people like that. And uh, then Tuesday begins at 8.30 breakfast, and then the, the preaching begins at 9.30. And then we'll go till about noon or so, have lunch. And uh, so if you have the opportunity to come, please do so. It will be a blessing, and uh, you'll enjoy your time. So, Brother Kirkman, why don't you come again? Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. thank you. It's a real honor to get to be with you today. I didn't realize Nixa was this, uh, was this big. It's grown a lot since the last time I was, I was around here. Really a nice town. I'm really glad to, like I said, it's an honor to be invited and get to come out and meet your pastor. Had we never met before, Brother Eccles? I want to talk to you about, your, it was your brother over in Australia. I want to find out exactly who, who that was. Um, huh? Bigger version. Bigger version? <laughs> Amen. All right. Let's turn our Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. Chapter 11, Mark chapter 11, I'm going to begin reading in verse 15 and read through verse 18. I want to apologize, Brother, Brother Jim Healy, that um, one of the scripture texts, and my mind wasn't working quite right at the time, and I, I didn't get that off to him, so we'll uh, do better tonight, maybe. Mark chapter 11, and we'll begin reading verse 15. If you're able to stand, let's all just stand together in reverence to the reading of God's word. I realize we don't have to be standing up to reverence him, but old habits die hard. Before we read, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you today, and Lord, we do thank you for the beautiful morning that you've given to us, and we thank you for the privilege of being in your house today. We thank you for this church, and we thank you for its pastor. We thank you for the, for the friendly people here and the good spirit that is immediately um, uh, obvious when we come in. And Father, most of all, I thank you for the inclination that we have in our hearts to want to be in your house on the Lord's day. We thank you for salvation. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that today you would uh, rejoice our hearts in allowing us to see someone saved, if there are any lost among us. We do pray for revival, as has already been mentioned, we desperately need revival today. And I pray that you'll just open our ears and our hearts to your word, that the response will be such as will be pleasing to thee, honoring to your spirit, we'll be quick to, to respond as you speak to us. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Now in verse 15, the Bible says in Mark chapter 11, And they come to Jerusalem, 
And Jesus went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And he would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught, saying unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves? And the scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him. For they feared him because all the people was astonished at his doctrine. Please be seated. I want us to notice that this passage of Scripture, this account in the Lord Jesus, out of his busy ministry, all, all the details aren't in this one passage, but they are, some of them are mentioned in other passages, other accounts of this event in the busy life of our Lord. It's one of those uh, events that's mentioned in all four Gospels. Some of the things Jesus did are just recorded in one gospel. Others are recorded in all the synoptic gospels, the first three. But this is one of those that um, is recorded. The Holy Spirit saw fit to have it pinned down in all four gospels. And when you find something like that, it's like the feeding of the 5,000s that way. There's so, so many rich, deep lessons there things that we know God really wants us to bear down on. And, and this is one of those passages, too. And we know that this is the second time that Jesus cleansed the temple. And uh, there's a lot to learn here. There's three things called to our attention here. When the Bible tells us about Jesus going into the temple this day, the first obvious thing is we see Jesus' arrival at the temple. I don't know how, what kind of frame of mind you were in when you arrived at the house of God today, but it's important uh, how we arrive at the house of God. Amen? And the second thing that we see is after arriving at the temple, his actions there. It's really important that we behave ourselves appropriately in the house of God. And then in the third place, we see, as we read that last verse in our text, after Jesus had done, had done what he did in uh, cleansing the temple, the accusations began to fly from the scribes and the Pharisees. And we want to look at the aftermath of Jesus' cleansing the temple. And I think there's many, many lessons here, more than we'll be able to, to get to today but uh, let's look at Jesus' arrival for the cleansing of the temple. In verse 15, the first part of that verse says, if you'll just follow along carefully with me for a few minutes this morning, the Bible says, and they come to Jerusalem and Jesus went in to the temple. You know why he went into the temple? Same reason that we all do what we do, because he desired to go into the temple. There was a time in my life the first 21 years of my life, I really had no desire to go into the house of God. When I got saved, God, as we say, changed my wanter. I began to want to listen to different music. I began to want different companionship. A whole lot of things changed, and I really didn't understand why, what was going on, and why I was having such a change in the things that I wanted, places I wanted to go, people I wanted to be, a, be around and things I wanted to do. But the most striking thing was the things that I didn't want to do anymore after I got saved. I'm telling you, God changes your wanter when you've had a real born-again experience. It all doesn't happen overnight, but some things do happen overnight. Some things happen immediately. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. And old things are passed away and all things become new. We're living in a day of what they call cheap grace. One, two, three, believe, uh, repeat after me. But nobody's ever been saved by repeating. We're saved by repenting and turning to the Lord Jesus for forgiveness of our sin. And that's the only way that anybody's ever has been saved 
or ever will be saved, but Jesus had a desire relative to the temple. You, you can see this again and again in the Bible that he appreciated the house of God. That's something we need a revival of. Talking about revival, we, Brother Carl, we need a revival in a lot of things today among God's people. Um, I, I've been around long enough to know that people used to be a lot more eager and anxious to get into the house of God than they are today. Jesus, our Lord, appreciated the house of God. The psalmist said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, and that's one of the most potent, powerful passages in the New Testament. But in that Hebrews chapter 10, which is glorious, in verse 25, it says, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, and so much more as you see the day approaching. We need the house of God so we can exhort one another unto good work, so we can evangelize and edify in the house of God, have a real appreciation for the church. I, I don't believe in this freelance kind of, of uh, Christianity that says, I, well, I don't need a church. I'm just going to serve the Lord on my own. I'll, I'll do what I want to do. I'll, I'll do as I please, and the church is not for me. There, there's something wrong with that kind of, kind of thinking. A child of God should appreciate the house of God because it's the pillar in the ground of truth. That's pretty important. Amen. The house of God, Paul wrote to Timothy. He said, if I tarry long that thou mightest know how thou oughtst to behave in the house of God, which is the pillar and the ground of the truth. I think God operates in his house much more powerfully than he's promised to than anywhere else. Not that he doesn't operate outside of his house. But he's sure that that's his place of, of, of choice. Now, you see Jesus' desire. He appreciated the house of God, and therefore he attended it. Amen. It's not rocket science. The reason people don't attend the house of God a lot of times is just simply because they don't appreciate it like they ought to. They come on Sunday morning and they say to the pastor as they leave and shake his hand, I could have listened to you all day. Then they don't come back that night. <laughs> Amen. He attended the house of God because he desired the desire he had. Now, another thing you see in this beginning of this, this uh, passage is you see the discovery that he made when he got to the temple. Boy, we're living in a day when you see a lot of strange things in the house of God. In the first place, we, see, we can see from this that Jesus had an interest in what goes on at the house of God. When he got to the temple that day, he saw some things that it wasn't a pretty sight. And it's mentioned in the Bible to remind us that Jesus takes notice and he is interested in what goes on in the house of God. Now, here's what's really important to remember, just this fact. It's the house of God. It's not our house. At our house, we can conduct ourselves a little more loosely if we want to. We can follow some of our own preferences and druthers at our house. But this is God's house. And therefore, the music, the preaching, the teaching, the behavior, the setup, the program, all should be that which is pleasing in the sight of God. It's, it's his house, and he's interested. In other words, the Lord Jesus still cares what goes on in churches. It's, what's, it, what's not important is what is popular with the world. Where I live, they're constantly polling. It's nothing to get a survey at your door, and they're surveying, saying, what do you like? I got one not too long ago It said, what do you prefer when you go to church? And it had some boxes to check in terms of how many minutes you like the sermon to last. <laughs> that, that's an exercise in futility at our place. 
And then they said, what kind of music? And do you like a blended service? Do you like a contemporary or a traditional? And on and on and on like that. Now, I'm still trying to figure this out, beloved, about these places that have, they advertise we have a traditional service in the morning and a contemporary service at night. Somebody said, and I even saw a title on a book, it said, things that are different are not the same. Amen. And only one of them is, is right. In other words, the church is not a smorgasbord to suit everybody's taste. One time when I was a young preacher, some, somebody I was pastoring in, in Flint, Michigan, and someone came to the door and they said, I wouldn't have your job for anything. They were trying to be nice. They said, so many people to please. We had a, we had a large congregation then. Um, and I said, well, I, I only have one to please. <laughs> I wasn't trying to be smart about it, but that's the way I've always thought about it. Just one to please. Thank God, you know, Christianity is not that complicated. Neither is preaching. We, have, we don't have to create anything. We have it laid out for us, amen? So Jesus is interested. We find, uh, see his interest. He, he saw this abuse regarding the sale of sacrifices, the changing of money, and, uh, and he was indignant about it. Amen. You know, we need when we have revival, like we really have revival, we'll start being indignant about some things that's been put up with way too long. But in this passage and the others like it in the gospel, you don't see any greater display of Jesus' passion or his anger anywhere that compares to the indignation you see him feeling here and demonstrating relative to the house of God. He was jealous for the house of God. So he arrives because he wanted to be there, and uh, he t- took notice of what was going on there. You know, he, he said, uh, wherever you're gathered together in my name, I'll be in your midst. That's in Matthew 18. That's a church passage. But then let's go on and look at Jesus' actions in the cleansing of the temple. In Malachi chapter 3 and in verse 2, the Bible says, But who may abide in the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. Turn with me in your Bibles back to Deuteronomy chapter 23 and verse 14. I remember after I got saved, I was 21 years old and not too long after that, the Lord called me to preach, and I thought, I've got to really do some, I've got to do some catching up. I shut myself up in a little apartment down in Conway, Arkansas for a week and read the Bible through. That's how serious I was about it. I knew I was as totally ignorant as anybody could be, and I needed to, but when I started reading the Bible, there were things that just stood out. Things that I've never forgotten. One of those things is, is here in Deuteronomy, God is giving his people instruction uh, concerning the upkeep and maintenance of their camp. And this, this is really, really interesting. This really stuck with me. In Deuteronomy 23, I used to be able to blame it on having a new Bible, but I've had this one too long to do that. See, the pages are sticking together. But in Deuteronomy 23 and in verse 14, God is talking to them about taking care of that camp. Look what he said. He said um, in verse 14, he's told them to keep the camp clean. Moses is relaying this to them and he says, For the Lord thy God walketh in the midst of thy camp. I want you to think about the camp as the church. He says, to deliver thee and to give up thine enemies before thee, therefore shall thy camp be holy. I really appreciate the theme for the preacher's conference. We need a revival of holiness. 
God said, I want you to keep where I come, where I'm, where I'm, where I'm frequenting, where I'm going to be around. I want it to be clean. He said, therefore, the camp shall be holy, that he see no unclean thing in thee and turn away from thee. You know why there's a lack of revival today? Because God has turned away in many places. And so much of the time, God has turned away because of uncleanness in the camp. And, and I hate to say it, but it's getting dirtier and dirtier. And it's going to take a refiner's fire to clean a lot of this mess up. On his way to the temple, now I just want you to think about this. On his way to the temple that day, no doubt Jesus saw a lot of things. He's in Jerusalem, the, most, the biggest, most teeming, bustling city in all of Judea and all of the land round about, this, thro- this throbbing populace of Jerusalem. And on his way to the temple, no doubt he saw a lot of things that he didn't look on with favor. He, he probably saw some, some conniving, people cheating one another, heard some language that, that uh, he didn't want to hear, and uh, saw a lot of things wrong that needed to be addressed. But we don't read here about him mentioning any of those things that day. What, we, what we're brought to focus on is that he's, the Holy Spirit is focusing what Jesus saw at the house of God. You know why? Because the Bible wants us to be reminded again and again and again that if judgment begin, it must begin at the house of God. Jesus saw sinners everywhere in Jerusalem, up and down the walkways, in the marketplace, doing all kinds of rotten things, just like sinners. You know what sinners do? Sinners do what sinners do. But the Lord is focusing on His people because His people and His church are the light of the world, the salt of the earth, and has to be what it needs to be. If judgment begin, let it begin at the house of God. In John chapter 2, verse 14 through 17, you see Jesus' first cleansing of the temple. And during that episode, He said this, He says that the zeal of thine house has eaten me up. In Psalm 69 and verse 9, we see where he's quoting that. In Psalm 69, the Lord says, The zeal of thine house has eaten me up, and the reproaches of them that reproach thee have fallen on me. Now let me tell you, things things are not evolving, things are devolving. That's sure true, spiritually speaking, right now. If you read John chapter 2, when Jesus cleansed the temple the first time, when he, when he did that then, in the first cleansing, he rebuked them. He said, you have made my father's house a house of merchandise. But things have gotten much worse when we get to this passage in Mark 11. He's cleansing it the second time. And he says, now you've made it a den of thieves. It's just almost unbelievable what you see going on under the name of church and Christianity today. Um, I notice his actions first involved, if you look at verse 15 and go on, look at the people that he evicted from the temple. Says he began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple. What was the problem? Why did Jesus evict these people from the temple? I've met preachers through the years, and they really and no preacher likes to see anybody leave the church. Nobody does. No real pastor does. But you know the fact is there are some people it'd be better off if they did leave. Because they fit in this category here. These were people. Now, here's the two reasons that they got evicted. Number one, 
They were people who were showing no reverence for the house of God. The house of God is not a Greyhound bus station. It's not a hootenanny. Some of you are old enough to relate to this. It's not Ted Mack's amateur hour. Amen. These were people who were doing what they wanted to do. And I just have to say this. We'll bring it right up here behind the pulpit. There's too much preaching where preachers are saying what they want to say instead of what God wants to say. I'd like to hear more sermons where the Word of God is actually in the sermon. What a novel idea. Amen. Preaching the Word of God begins with preaching what? The Word of God. I've got a friend that's down in Mississippi, and he's always talking about preachers preaching, telling, spending all their time telling graveyard stories and fairy tales and all of that kind of thing. We don't need that. We need the Word of God. So these people are showing no reverence for the house of God, and they're people who are sinning without any reservation in the house of God, showing no reverence. My wife called my attention to something she saw on a Facebook page, and um, it's a family we know. They, they, um, they claim to be Christians. They're very, very wealthy. I mean, multiplied hundreds of millions of dollars they have. And there was a picture of her, and they're really proud of their Christianity. But she was out in California last week, and she's in wine country, and she said in her Facebook, only in California can you do this in church. And she was standing in a church auditorium with a big glass of wine. Now, I'm using some terms here rather loosely. But she's standing in what she purported to be a church and happy that she could guzzle wine in that place that's related to being at the house of God. Now, God has been very clear about how he wants his house to be treated. It's so nice to come into a church where people have reverence for the house of God. I'm telling you, I've been in a lot of places it's not that way. People think they're spiritual. They they get as as uh, casual. I'll, I'll say casual and foolish and silly as they can be, and they think that's more spirit. That's virtuous. It's not a virtue. It's a disgrace. So these are people who are sinning without any reservation whatsoever. They they've become very very. God's been clear, but they're very careless about how the house of God is being being treated. Now, the sad thing is, in a lot of places, this is the crowd that dominates. We've come to that place. You know, there's a verse in Ecclesiastes, and the writer Solomon says, I've seen a strange thing. I've seen paupers on horseback, or paupers on horseback, in other words, beggars on horseback, and princes walking. We've got a lot of showmen and Hollywood types uh, in high places in churches today and plain old gospel preaching, staying with the stuff ministers are kind of looked on with a little bit of disdain. And that's what I call having princes walking while paupers are on horseback. Here's, here's some practices that, that Jesus saw, these people that he evicted, and then the practices that he ended. Now, what did he do? In verse 15, when you look at the third part of that verse, this is Jesus' response to what he saw. The Bible says, And he overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves, And he would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. In other words, he put an end to their sales that were being conducted there. I don't think there's anything wrong with selling some things in the church house, but the church is not to be made into a little bazaar. When I went up to Michigan to pastor, they let me know right away I was a real young preacher. They said every year 
We have our bazaar at Genesee County Mall. The church has its bazaar. We have our banners prepared, and we set up in the mall, and we sell our potholders and cakes and pies and <laughs> all of that stuff. They didn't have their bazaar that year. I said, it just seems bizarre to me that a church would have a bazaar and be, I, I, don't, I hope you don't have a bazaar. <laughs> but he put an end to it. He put an end to their sales, and he put an end to the sacrilege that was being committed there. He would not suffer anyone even to walk through carrying their stuff. And you, when you look at that verse in verse 16, you wonder what do people, in other words, people were carrying some things into the house of God that he didn't want them carrying that in there. And you got to wonder, what, what do people carry into the house of God today that is so displeasing to him? Sometimes they carry the wrong kind of music in. Sometimes they carry the wrong kind of attitude into the house of God. They carry an old grudging spirit the wrong kind of, of, of spirit into the house of God. They carry vessels in that are full of worldliness and, uh, like I say, bad spirit. So here's Jesus' arrival. You see his actions. And boy, when he turned these money changers' tables over and he started putting a stop to all of this, you see the accusations that, uh, that come forth. First from the Lord himself, he begins to enumerate some things. His, his complaints, the charges that he had, they're, they're very simple. And the first thing he does is he makes reference to God's original design for the temple. It's real simple. God's design for the house of God is to worship him, proclaim his word, it's to be a house of prayer. He made God, in verse 17, and he taught, saying unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations a house of prayer? In 2 Chronicles chapter 6 and verse 21, and also in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, you know, these are the verses where the temple has been built, revival really breaks out, and um, that night after the temple dedication, God appeared to Solomon, and he had some afterwords for him. And that's, that's where he said that we've, we've had a, basically God saying we've had a, you've had a glory hallelujah time here. The Shekinah glory had come down. They had really experienced revival. But God said, it may not always be that way. And if, if you sin and if pestilence and disaster and the spiritual, spiritual aspect turns around, he said, if my people, he said, this will be the remedy for that. It makes me think God is saying, I mean, it could apply to us. If, if things change to where they go from that to this, and I think in our day they've gone from that to this in many ways, God said, here's the remedy. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked way. And you know where God said that prayer was to be done? in association with his house. Now, Jesus made reference to God's initial design for the temple. He made reference to their desecration of it. He said, but you've made it a den of thieves. Um, time for an evaluation. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 9, or chapter 7, and begin reading at verse 9. The Lord said there through Jeremiah, he said to his, his own people, he said, Will you steal, murder, and commit adultery, and swear falsely, and burn incense unto Baal, and walk after other gods whom you know not, 
and come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered to do all these abominations. Now think about that, beloved. God is saying here, you're my people, you claim to be my people, but you rob and you steal and you do this and you do whatever you want to do and then you come traipsing in to my house and basically you have formed a theology in your own minds, see if that doesn't sound familiar, that says God has delivered us and we are under grace And therefore, we can sin to our heart's content. And the more we sin, the more it'll magnify His grace. And so it's good, good, good to be a worldly Christian. We're doing God a favor. That's the kind of Christianity we have in so many places today. Paul had to deal with it. Romans 6, he said, What? Shall we sin that grace may abound? God forbid... Then he went on in the same chapter and said, God forbid about it two more times. We're we're living in that kind of a day where we're seeing this a lot. In other words, they were using God's house uh, in the context of their own fleshly uh, self-interest, a place for people to sing and, and play instruments for nothing more than the gratification of their own flesh. I would rather hear somebody sing that can't carry a tune in a bucket than hear any of these professional singers that are worldly and fleshly. Not a place just to hobnob with friends or attach themselves with people. Some people, you know, I don't know if you have ever had it here, but there are some people who just love to be associated with a church like this. They, they would like to be able to say, I go to Calvary Baptist Church in Nixa, and Pastor Echoes is the pastor there. That's the church I go to because they like it both ways. They want to live as worldly as they can and somehow still be associated. You know what I'm talking about. Amen. Well, he enumerated all of these complaints that he had, and then there was a crowd there that took exception to what Jesus said. And the reason they took exception to it is because they, got, they weren't under any conviction about it. There was no brokenness, no sorrow where they were concerned. There was a crowd there that had no intention of changing anything based upon what Jesus said. They weren't going to change anything concerning what they were doing. It's all right here in the scripture. In fact, these people started making plans for Jesus. It's right here in verse 18. The Bible says they sought how they might destroy him. Uh, This is the crowd who's been saying all along. This is the ones that brought them from John chapter 2. They brought them up to the place or down to the place in John chapter 2 where they made the house of God a house of merchandise. And this is the crowd that continued to do what they did till they finally had the house of God in a place where it became a den of thieves. You know what, you know what crowd this was? This is the ones that, if they were around today, they'd be saying this, well, I don't see anything wrong with it. <laughs> Amen. It really doesn't matter whether people see anything wrong with it or not when God says there's something wrong with it. All that matters about right and wrong is what God's definition of right and wrong is. And he's made this very clear concerning his works. These, these people, these scribes and priests, had placed their standards really, really low. But you know what? how they justified themselves, Brother Eccles? They probably said this. Well, I might, we might be doing this, but at least we're not doing that. We may be doing this, but at least we're not sacrificing hogs in here. That, that's the way these, this crowd works. And, you, and uh, you wonder sometimes what really the extent to which some people would go if they could practice and do what they'd really like to do in the house of God. They, they had a real 
problem with him, and that's why they made these plans. In verse 18, he goes on, and, and, he, and, he, and the Bible tells us they, they feared him because all of the people was astonished at his doctrine. Now, I just preached that sermon. That was really the introduction. <laughs> Not really. I don't want to scare anybody. But I, I've really been preaching that up to this point so we could look at the results of cleansing the house of God. I'm closing with this. I mean it. This is the conclusion. What happened when Jesus cleansed the house? Now, this account's given in all four Gospels, so we don't get it all here. But we get, get more details from some of the other writers. What, what happened? Well, number one, there was two things. And I close with this. When Jesus cleansed the house of God, when he cleansed the temple, first thing that happened was there was an outpouring of power in the house of God. In Matthew 21, verse 14, the Bible says, And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. That's what happened. Matthew says, oh, and also this happened. Not only was there an out, and you know there are a lot of people that need the house of God here in Wildwood, Missouri, where I pastored and all over the place. They need healing for their sin-sick souls. They need to come one way and leave a totally different way. In other words, we need an outpouring of the power of God, and it's not going to happen where there's things that be, need to be cleansed in the temple. And, let, and let's not forget this part. The Bible calls us the temple. Amen? I mean, we're the ones that make up the church, the temple. The Bible calls us our bodies. Are the, Paul said, what? No, you're not, that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. When the temple gets cleansed, power is outpoured. But there was a second thing. There was an outpouring of praise. Do you know why God ever has saved anybody? You know why he saves anybody? For his own glory. It's the bottom line. There's a lot of things that could be included in the blessings of salvation. But the, God does all things for his own glory. God wants the praise of his people. The Bible says God inhabits the praises of his people. I really believe this. When a church gets happy, <laughs> some people don't understand that today. don't understand those terms. When people start getting happy and start giving praise to God, instead of expressing concern for their neighbor's ingrown toenail and who's getting a job or not getting one and all of that, and I'm t I know we can pray about and ask prayer for anything. I'm not discounting that. But we need to give glory to God because God inhabits the praises of his people. And he'll come down with power where there's praise. Here's what Matthew said about this, what happened this very time Mark's talking about. He said that there were children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Little children got happy. Amen. In verse 16 of Matthew, he tells us, Jesus said, Hearest thou not what these say? Yea, have you never read out of the mouths of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise? That's what we need to happen in our churches. And I'll add this to it because I'm old enough to add this to it again. Again. I want, my, I've got 15 grandchildren. I want them to grow up seeing things happening in the house of God that they'll never forget the rest of their lives. My children, my, my five children have seen some things happen in the house of God in terms of wonderful salvation experience.
Apostle Peter understood it, and he said, a judgment began at Christ's funeral of the house of God. Maybe there's someone here today who's never even been saved. You've been satisfied, and you're wearing yourself out continually trying to convince yourself that you're saved, but like somebody gave testimony this morning, all you really have is trust. And they never got any further than the head. Let me ask you this morning, thank you, brother. What is your attitude about the church that Jesus started, that he has promised to exist? What is your attitude about that? We've heard this morning how God gets glory in the church. We've heard how how he operates through his church that he started. Has it ever... Has it ever... uh, sunk into your mind that this is God's house and this is where God's business is is taken care of this is where where the gospel is preached this is where the propagation of the gospel starts throughout the whole world beginning here what is your attitude about that how is your attitude seen and how you come into the house of God Do people know you're going to church Sunday morning? Or could you just be going anywhere else like you normally would? Are you clean? Has God been speaking to you maybe about something in your life that you've been allowing and you've been allowing, you've, you've not dealt with it, you refuse to deal with it? Can I tell you and remind you a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? And you can be affecting the entire body with your sin. And things don't happen and things people don't get saved at times. And sometimes we don't see the power of God happen because there's just stinking sin in our life. And we need to get it squared away. If God has spoken to you this morning, would you deal with him this morning? Don't allow pride to allow you to stay in your seat any longer. Deal with God this morning. Get things right. Have the joy of the Lord restored unto you and just be obedient. Why don't you deal with him this morning? As the piano plays, you come and you deal with God. While your heads are bowed this morning, how many could raise your hand this morning and just say, I know that I know that I know. I remember the day, I remember that, that moment that I came before God in repentance. I knew that I was lost and I asked him to save me. How many can raise your hand and say, I remember the day that I met the Lord Jesus Christ. How many can say that? You remember the day you got saved. Maybe some didn't understand the question or some just didn't want to respond. But some were not able to raise their hand for one reason or another. And you do realize that if you leave this life without the atoning blood of Jesus Christ, you've never been made right with God. 
your eternity, your soul will forever exist in hell. And you need to be saved today. You need to, you need to come to Christ this morning. And you need to ask Him to save you today. And if that's you, would you come even now? We have people that can show you in the Bible how you could be saved, how you could have your sins forgiven, how you could be made right with God. Thank you, Brother Kurtman. What a blessing. I needed that. I don't know if anybody else in here needed it. The preacher did. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Why don't you make, could you make your way to the back, into the door there, and, and maybe greet those as they, as they leave this morning. Uh, Brother Kurtman will be with us again this evening. I'm looking forward to that. And uh, be faithful to the Lord tonight. Be back in your place. And uh, be expecting to hear. And, uh, and uh, maybe you need to spend a little time this afternoon. And I get alone with God, and maybe you just need to say, you know, I, God, would you search me? Is, is there something I'm missing? Is there something I've not? You know, we get used to sin. We get used to the dark, don't you? Sometimes you sit in the dark so long that you get used to it until somebody turns the light on and you go, wow, I've been in darkness. <laughs> and uh, sometimes we need to get alone with God and ask Him to turn the light on because there's things we've lived with so long, we've gotten so used to them. And listen, we are we are hurting everybody else around us, and we're hurting the cause of Christ. Yeah. So why don't we do that this afternoon? And uh, good to see everybody out this morning. Beautiful day. And uh, Lord bless you. And we'll see you this evening, brother. Uh, brother Bob Healy, would you uh, close us in prayer, please? <clears throat>